0: gave himself up for her, so that he may sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water of the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought also love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you is also to love his own wife, even as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be be to God.
1: Thank you, Chase. Okay, so last week, I'm going to recap just a little bit, um, kind of the first part of the chapter. I'm used to being at the beginning of the chapter and kind of kicking it off. So this is the first time I've, like, followed up. So. I think it's important to read it in context. So the main idea that kind of was uh, Paul started talking about at the beginning of chapter 5 is um, he started this uh, section with one directive. And that is found in verse 1. What was that directive that Paul kind of was telling the people right off the bat? Therefore, imitate God. All right. Okay, no big deal, just imitate God, <laughs> which is kind of a big deal. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. Um, followed it up with verse 2, um, live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. So what Paul was reminding them is that following Jesus' example was a radical revolution of the upside-down kingdom that Jesus initiated and exemplified. So he's reminding them, okay, let's now imitate God in everything because you are now his children and you can live a life filled with love because you follow this example of Christ. And this example of Christ was nothing short of absolute revolution to what this people in this time were expecting and what they were used to. Um, He also goes on to say he loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. And so Jesus was the aroma. And when we follow the example of Jesus, guess what we are? We're an aroma too. We are a radiant, is an adjective that I love that Paul has used earlier in the in the book, a radiant aroma. So, which means that we also, even now in our present time, should bring something completely different to our communities and our relationships. We should be countercultural to our world. Um And then he goes on and he says down in um, chapter, or verse 8, For once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of light. For this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. Um, So... By imitating God, that means that we are to follow Jesus' example, we become a radiant aroma, and we are to walk in love and walk in light. And this is something that um, uh, he's just replaying over and over through the book of Ephesians. Okay? So... Um, If y'all remember, I've talked about this several times, is that I've been using uh, the book and sermon series from Daryl Johnson. And um, his teaching on chapter 5 is especially good. And I included um, uh, just the name. If you wanted to go to YouTube, it's a three-part sermon series for, um, well, it's for the whole, it's like 27 sermons. But for chapter five, it's especially good, and I'm not going to do justice to the concepts that I'm kind of going to present tonight. It kind of fleshes, he fleshes it out a lot better, obviously, than I did, but I'm taking a lot of my notes tonight from him, so you can find that on YouTube, but he's the one who kind of, um, at the beginning, said that what Paul is doing in the book of Ephesians is giving us... A completely alternative reading of reality. Reality has been completely turned upside down. And that alternative reading is centered on Jesus Christ, who was crucified, risen, and ascended to the throne of the universe, and leading us, which leads us then into alternate ways of understanding human relationships, right? calling all the Gentiles in, that's the the plan and the purpose laid out in chapter 1, is that everyone is to be united. One unity, one humanity under Christ, in Christ. And that theme is just being woven through these chapters, and it's still here with us in chapter 5. So we're going to just kind of dig in. And um, get after it. We're going to kind of look at 15 through 18. So let's just start unpacking it. I'm going to read 15 through 18. So, and this is the New Living Translation. So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay? So, I'm going to jump back and ask you this How do we imitate God? How is this related to imitation of God? Because these verses are all, it's not like this is a separate section. This is all the same train of thought. How do we imitate God?
0: teaching other people
1: that's one way of doing it yeah but what is found in verse at the end of verse 18 how do we imitate God can we do it on our own
0: No.
1: yeah no Uh, no. (laughs) yes be filled with the Holy Spirit you're gonna get tired of me saying that tonight be filled with the Holy Spirit Um, this is how we walk in the wonder of being alive in Christ by being filled, by being filled with the very life of God, the life of God lives in us. And only through being filled with the Holy Spirit, are we able to do the things that Paul is suggesting is a good way of life, imitating God, walking in love, walking in light, following Jesus example, being a radiant aroma. We can do none of that without The empowerment of the Holy Spirit living in us. So this is really the key to this whole chapter. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay? We're going to get into that in just a minute. But in this set of three verses right here at um, 15 through 18, what we see is three, not this, but this. Okay? And if you want to fill in your blanks, this is where I gave you some blanks to fill in. So... We don't. First of all, in I guess it's uh, verse 15. Don't live like. Don't be foolish. Don't live foolishly. Don't live like fools. But live as one. Who is wise? Okay. So the opposite of foolish is wise. So don't be fools. Live as wise as one who is wise. Don't act thoughtlessly, okay, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. So seek his will, don't just act without thought. You're going to try and understand what God wants you to do. That's how you should act, all right? And the last one, don't get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit, okay? So we're going to kind of... um, try and understand what this directive or command to be filled which is really the only command or the only imperative that paul gives here okay it may feel and especially in a lot of translations like he's giving commands um especially when we get to the part about husbands and wives you know be subject but actually um in the greek it's a little bit different so We're going to get to that. But be filled is the command that he gives. And um, it really does require us to kind of sit and look. But before we do that, let's go back in Ephesians and find where he's said this before. So uh, 1, 13 and 15. Chapter 1, verse 13 and 15. I'm just going to flip over there and read it for us, and I've included kind of the highlights of it. But um, chapter 113, And now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you who? The Holy Spirit, whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us us to be his own people. He did this so we would praise and glorify him. So he talks about this is um, um, the indwelling of the Spirit is Christ in us. It's not just this holy kind of power that has no form or has no personality. No, it is Christ's Spirit who lives in us. It is a person who dwells within us. It is Christ's spirit, God's Spirit, part the third person in the Trinity. Um, Chapter two, verse twenty-two says Through him the Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. Okay? We've talked about this all semester long. And then finally in uh, three verse sixteen. He says, um, I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with (coughs) inner strength through his spirit. How are we going to imitate God? How are we going to walk in love and light? Oh, through the spirit giving us the power, the inner strength. And then Christ will make his home in your hearts Oh make his home in our hearts. It's Christ in us. As we trust him, and our roots your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. So these are just re- reminders of something that Paul has been driving home, this theology of God, this he we have to understand that this power of the spirit in us is the only thing the first 3 chapters was theology. The second three chapters are all application, but we get really twisted up in the application part when we're like, oh, okay, I've got these thoughts about God. Now I'm going to go live righteously and walk in the light and walk in the love, and I'm going I'm to go imitate. No, we have to understand that only by being filled with the Spirit are we able to live in a way that honors God and imitates him and um, uh, lives in the way that Paul is kind of laying out in these final chapters. Does that make sense? Yep, y'all are with me? All right, any questions, any comments before I kind of go into some grammar of what is being said here? Anything? Any ideas or questions? No? Okay. So, Paul is saying, basically, by being filled with, like, these, not this, but this, he's saying, quit wasting your time and energy on what is just waste and emptiness. Okay? Foolishness. Um, thoughtlessness. Drunkenness. All of these things that are you're trying to fill up with besides... Wisdom and um, following the will of God and the Holy Spirit. He's like he's saying, "Quit trying to fill your soul with that which does not fill your soul." Okay, and so you could take these, not this, but this, and apply a lot of different things in this life. All right, it's not just um, I'm in control of my life. Okay. Not just my will, not God's will. It's not just uh, I'm not even thinking about God. I'm just acting like a fool. I'm not chasing wisdom. Um, I'm filling myself up with. You could you could say it could be a lot of things. It could be um, name some things that people try and fill up with their schedule, their schedule. Okay. Busyness. Just just. What else? Food. Food? hmm well, D- Is that what you said?
2: Yeah. Food. Yeah. I was thinking it- <coughs> food
1: and drink. Yeah. Yep. What else? What else do people try and fill their souls with something that doesn't actually fill them up? Entertainment. Entertainment. Social media. Social media, travel clothes shopping. shopping are any of those things really bad in <coughs> of themselves oh,
2: shopping.
1: Come on do <laughs> <laughs> Come on as long as it doesn't become your
2: husband.
1: Exactly <laughs> Exactly as long as you're not trying to this is what's trying to fill me up all right And a lot of times we don't even realize when we have slid into um, places in our lives when These other things, you know, our jobs, our careers, um, our family sometimes can be a source of we're trying to fill ourselves up with um, uh, having our kids behave a certain way or making everyone happy or, you know, all the different ways that might manifest itself, Um, even all the good things. As as long if we are trying to fill up with something other than the Holy Spirit, it's never going to satisfy us, and that I think is what Paul is saying. And like when you really read this, we don't have to get into the nitty gritty of exactly what he said, but but it is um, very applicable for us today. It was super applicable back in the day because there were all kinds of things pagan things that were happening in Ephesus, and you can read about that, kind of research all of the things that um, this group of people that he was specifically writing to were trying to fill up on. Um, uh, But Christ now lives in us, and so there's not room for for us to find satisfaction in anything else when he is um, living in us. Paul is saying you were created in such a way that what finally fills you is a person, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. So to be filled with the Spirit is to have Christ dwell in you. To be filled with the Spirit is to be filled with the Spirit of God, the breath of God, the wind of God, the power of God, to be filled with the very life of God. Okay. So to get that idea and firmly planted in our heads as we read this text, that's what Paul was trying to explain to them: that this Holy Spirit that came because Jesus, because of Jesus, um, is part of this radical revolution, this alternate reading of reality that he is trying to um, uh, encourage this body of believers to fully participate in. Um, in chapter 3, verse 19, in this beautiful prayer that Paul reads, he says, May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to fully understand. Then you will be made complete in all the fullness of life and power that comes with God. Um, this is an incredible compliment that he is paying us when he prays this second prayer. He's saying that we humans, are so wonderfully made that only the living God can fill us up. Um, No other spirit will ever satisfy. And this is the new reality. And this is what's going to drive our uh, uh, relationships, our walk with him, our formation, the formation of our souls. So everything else that Paul develops out of like, chapter five, fifteen to 6, verse 9 flows out of this feeling. And you kind of have to read when he starts to talk about husbands and wives and children and parents and slaves and masters. You have to make sure you have this kind of theological anchor and directive or command because that's the only way that we can be in relationship with each other in the way that God designed us to, okay, in ways that honor him. Um, so in this particular passage in verse 18, be filled with the Spirit is actually kind of a complicated verb form in the Greek. And it's actually saying um, it's three kinds of, um, of wording all wrapped up in one. So the first is that it's a command given in a passive voice. Okay, so the idea being that we cannot make ourselves filled with the Spirit. We can't do that on our own. So we are passive. When he says be filled, in one sense, it's a passive receiving of that Spirit. We're utterly dependent on God, and only God can fill us with God. That makes sense. It also is a command given in the present tense. So it also emphasizes a continuous action. So in a way it's saying, and you be filled and you keep on being filled. Okay? This impl- The implication is that being filled by and with the Spirit is an ongoing phenomenon. Okay? So when you say yes to Jesus and you experience the indwelling of Christ and the Spirit lives inside of you, it is something that is a continual process. You receive it, but it kind of keeps going because we live in a broken world and we're walking in this life in um, uh, kind of a broken system. And so we have to daily seek that which leads us to the third kind of way this this word is it's also in the imperative mode which means that somehow we have a play a role to play okay it's a command he's saying you be filled you receive it you receive the ongoing phenomenon but you also have to seek it you have to decide what's our role we our role is to decide We have to want to be filled. Mysterious as it may be, our will must be in cooperation with the Spirit to desire to be daily filled by Him. Now, I don't know if I did that justice. I'm not a theologian. But um, in my readings, and my study, this is what I, I understand. And to me in my own life, this is what makes sense to me. And this is, to me, this is, um, it makes sense that the spirit, to be filled with the spirit is, is something that it encapsulates three kinds of verbs. <laughs> All right? I, I, that, that meshes with me. And it's mysterious. And I don't fully understand it. But I do understand that if I don't engage and decide to press in to the spirit that lives in me, then I will, um, I, I physically feel it. I feel it, I become thoughtless. I become kind of foolish in my ways when I'm not actively seeking him. But when I am actively seeking him and pressing in, then... It's like I'm cooperating with God with what God wants to do in my life in the maturing and growing process. Are y'all with me? You with me? Okay, this is really important because we're about to get into your business in just a minute, okay? And we can't be married. We can't have children. We can't be a parent. We can't be an employee. We can't be a friend unless we. In the, in the way that God designed us to be, unless we have this down, okay? Um, okay, so this is the main idea of how we're going to go on with the rest of the chapter. It's kind of like you, um, when you're studying scripture, you can sit with a couple of verses or a chapter and pick it apart. And we've done that sometimes in these studies on Wednesday nights. But sometimes it's also helpful to kind of stand back and look at it, like from a 30,000-foot view instead of kind of a a microscopic view. And you you kind of just, it's good to do both approaches. So tonight, I'm not saying it's the chicken way out, but it's just where the Spirit was leading me. We're going to take a 30,000-foot view, And, um, really kind of just camp on this idea of being filled in the spirit as far as our relationship goes and maybe not land on a lot of the nuances that are in the rest of chapter five. Um, Pamela, um, Thompson, if y'all don't know, Dawn's wife, is an expert quilt maker. Like, she even has tattoos of quilts. That's how legit she is. And, um you could go to Pam's house and she could show you a six by six square of one of her quilts and you would think wow she's a good seamstress you know she all those line all those tiny lines are exactly perfect and she cut it right and the colors are real pretty but you could also then step back and see that quilt hanging on a wall and you you, you would say, oh, she's a good seamstress and she's an artist. Like, that is art that she did because you see the big picture, okay? And that's what we can do with Scripture. We can look and, at words and phrases and, and the way that um, the divine Scripture can teach us. That's why you could live a thousand lives and never mind the depths of the Word of God. Um, so pulling back a bit is what we're going to do tonight we're going to look at the artistry of what God did by giving us the Holy Spirit as a way of dealing with this life and and it is the way that the radical upside down kingdom is played out in the here and now it's the kingdom of heaven is now and we have that ability to walk in the the truth of that, we don't have to wait till heaven. We get to taste, have a foretaste of heaven now, um, but only if we tap into the spirit in us, okay? Um, so, all that being said, let's go on and read 19 through 21, okay? So, instead, not this, instead be filled with the spirit, Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves and making music to the Lord in your hearts. And give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to go ahead and read 21, even though in in my Bible it's in a different section. And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Okay? So... These are manifestations. There's four of them listed right here in these verses. There's four manifestations or results of the be filled command or imperative. So, what are those? Wh- what is he saying to do? Instead, be filled with the Spirit, and what happens? What's the result? Sing, Sing songs. And hymns and spiritual songs, what does that mean to you, um, Kaylin? Yeah, I feel like yeah, yeah, Kaylin's a worship girl, so um, this is probably a place that you is, is tender to you, perhaps as a worship leader and someone who loves worship. Um, but it's not just for worship leaders, it's not just, I mean. This is uh, a result of what happens inside. It's a a heart posture. It's what comes out of us. All of a sudden, we're filled with the Spirit. We can't help but but, um, sing praises and hymns and songs among ourselves, like corporately, but also, what's the next thing he says? Make music in your hearts. To, um, to the Lord in your hearts. It's also a very private thing. It's corporate and it's private. This is what happens, that you can't help but overflow with praise to God. Um, and then, Don, he says, and give thanks to God for everything in Jesus' name. Okay? Having a heart of gratitude for everything. So these these are the first three manifestations, and then in chapter twenty one is the fourth. What's a manifestation of ha- being filled with the Spirit? Submit to, one. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ is what the NLT says. Okay. So this is a Spirit empowered way of living, inaccessible on our own steam. And so when we desire the Spirit of God over other things, it bubbles out in worship, and music, and thanksgiving. The Holy Spirit, Christ in us, God living in us, changes everything from the inside out. It's not a behavior modification. It's like, don't get drunk on wine. No, that's not, that's not what he's saying. He's like, don't be a fool. Don't act thoughtlessly, you dummy. No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying when you are filled with the Spirit, something else, you want to be filled with something else and there's manifestations of it. Um, uh, The final manifestation is going to be illustrated for us in the way we do relationships. Okay, There's three relational spheres in the society that he's talking to currently in Paul's day. These were known as household codes. So you had husband, wife, father-child, and then master-slave. And in most cases, the husband, father, and master were the same person, okay? That's usually the case. So what we have to understand from Paul's perspective and from like this biblical context, what he is developing here is so revolutionary and so contrary to the deeply ingrained patterns of behavior that even after 2,000 years, the church has yet to work out the full implications of what this is saying today. Do you all agree with that? Like, it's so radical, (laughs) upside down. So upside down is upside down, and we're gonna find out how exactly that works in just a minute. But we need to understand that in this letter, Paul is addressing not just the men. He but also he's addressing women. He's talking to them, wives, respect your husbands. Children, obey your parents. Slaves, obey your masters. He's talking to people and it was absolutely revolutionary because these groups of people in that day had no voice. They were basically subhuman. They were property. No power. So what Paul is doing is providing an alternate reality of life in the kingdom that Jesus ushered in, and by being filled with the Spirit of God, it goes to the very root of our relational dynamics and turns things up upside down so relationships can be turned right side up. Okay, Back in the very beginning with Adam and Eve, this power dynamic, a relational conflict came into being when sin entered the world. And what Paul is saying is like, look, because of Jesus and this indwelling of the power of the Holy Spirit that you have in you, you get to interact in ways that, were, that nobody else is doing. Nobody else, I mean, this is upside down. Um, right? Y'all with me? So let's read 22 through 24. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Let's read 21. And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of the body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. So he's, he's talking to wives, but he's also saying he's giving this metaphor for the church. So this does have to do with marriage, but really it has to do with the church and how Jesus is the head of the church and that we need to have a totally different uh, change of mind as far as how we see each other, one another, in light of Jesus being the head. Um and we're going to discover, like this passage, there's some rela- uh, translation differences that have caused these relational verses to be some of the most misread and abused and misused in all of Paul's letters. Some really bad stuff has gone down. Um, with inside of homes, because in the name of, biblical teaching out of these passages very ungodly very foolish very unspirit like things have happened because uh, translations missed out or there was a misunderstanding there wasn't there was like okay I got it we got the spirit now I'm gonna go do it this way wives you better respect your husband or children you better obey your parents, and if you don't, you're going to get beaten. Same for slaves, okay? There are, I mean, our history, unfortunately, in the United States is is full of uh, plantation owners who felt justified, well, I'm just following the Bible here, okay? So, but when you read this with the radical lens of an alternative reality, understanding that this is, Jesus is saying, I mean, Paul is saying, no, Jesus ushered in a totally different way of being, a way of being in community with one another, something that reflects the garden before sin fell, where everyone was equal and had dignity. Um, So if you're single, this is not the place to be like, oh, this passage isn't for me, or if you're divorced, this passage isn't for me. No, because it's so much more than just about that. He's using marriage as a metaphor. Um, do you understand how he's, he's saying, um, for a husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. How is Christ the head of the church? He laid down his life for it. Um, he's the savior of this body, the church. And as the body submits to Christ, so you wives... To, should submit to your husbands and everything. It's like husbands and wives, you need to be submissive to Christ. And in that your relation, your relationships should flow out of that. Okay? Um, all right, so where we get into a problem with translation is that submit here sounds like a command. All right? It is a directive. It's an imperative in the way that this translation is written and a lot of other translations. Um, while well, in fact, the original is not an imperative in the original Greek, but it was rather a participle, okay? Which is a nuance, but a, but a very important nuance. So, in the Greek, it is a participle instead of submit, let's say subject, because did you say subject, being subject? Being subjected, being subject is the participle, not a command. So, verse 21, being subject to one another out of Christ, being subject is a result of be filled. The participle is the result of obeying the imperative. Y'all, this is hard. I had to read it over and over. I was like, but this is so important. It was very fascinating, actually. Um a participle is a word de- derived from a verb and used as an adjective. So we're saying we are we are being subject. Wives be subject to your husband, as to the church. So it is. It all flows out of the imperative. Be filled, and then come under. Okay. Um, so. In this passage, what we're seeing is we have a series of relationship where the being subject is being worked out. Um, All right, I think I included in this note, I don't even know how to say this, it's Greek, which means being subject, literally means standing under. And when we are filled with the Spirit, we find ourselves standing under, under Jesus Christ, where it says in reverence for Christ and under one another. <coughs> so let's think about this. Wives stand under wives standing under husband, but also husbands standing under wives, being being subject. Children standing under parents, but also parents standing under their children. Servants standing under masters and masters standing under servants. Under not over, but under. All right? Let's, let's keep on reading. For husbands, verse 25, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or blemish or wrinkle. Instead, he, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives and as, as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor. Love the, your neighbor as yourself. So it's the cycle, the circle of the reality of the Great right commandment. No one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church. And we are members of the body. Questions. Okay, I'm going to keep reading. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery. It is, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again, I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Think about it. If you're a wife and you're hearing this um, letter from Paul preached in your home church, in your house church, and he's addressing you, and it sounds like he's saying When you are filled with the spirit, husband and wife are equal. They stand under, they are subject, they are being subject to one another because of Christ. Because they are leading, because of Christ's example. Can you imagine how that must have been like, wow. And so many people are like, women hate this passage because it's like, women should, wives should be in subjection or submission to their husbands. When really, it's the, the husbands who should have been like, wait a minute, you're upsetting my apple cart, Paul. Like, really, this is the way it should be? Um, and yet, we're just kind of, he's, he's revolutionizing what the original intent that God had is equal unity and all in one under the church. So, in the kingdom of God, when the spirit of the great king comes, a revolution takes place and we get to live in mutual, mutual submission to one another. All have equal dignity and all have equal value. Different roles, absolutely. Different responsibilities, yes, but all are equal before Christ and all are in submission or being subject in to Christ instead we are to be filled with the spirit we start our day every day desiring it yearning for it hungering for it more of the living water of Christ the wind of the spirit and the presence of God to fill us and we decide to pay attention to all the substitutes that come in to fill us which then sets us up relationally with God Christ and the spirit so that we can walk out our relate our earthly relationships with others as Jesus did it's kind of a beautiful plan this is how you imitate God and this is how you follow Jesus and this is how you walk in the light and love of the Spirit this is how you become a radiant aroma to the world around you right okay those are my notes and we have ten minutes left so any questions on that before we transition into a little exercise? Can I just, can yeah, absolutely.
2: Um, my husband passed, but when, when, we, when he was here and we were having some bumps, it, you have to be really careful because it says each man must love his wife, each wife must respect right. your husband. So it's, it's, it's to love and respect. And there's a book called Love Dare. It was a movie as well. Mm-hmm. And Scott and I were trying to work through that book as well. (coughs) And it never dawned on me that I wasn't doing him justice, because it's husbands love your wife, it's the love there. So that was kind of more of a book for him. But if you're interested, or if you know anybody who can benefit from this, there's also a book called Respect There. And it's written by a different author, but it follows the same concept, just for the woman, because a woman Do the love there for their spouse because we're supposed
1: to respect. Yeah, and and they're different. Yeah, they are different, and it is. That's one of the nuances that I just chose. Like some of the nuances in here. Like you could do a whole, you know, four week study on just this passage and all the nuances, and I kind of was like, we're, we're taking the high view here. And actually, Anthony may get into some of that next week when he's talking about children and parents and then slaves and masters. But um, yeah, I've read that book. It's good. It's really good. Yeah.
2: It's, it's, it's awesome.
1: Yeah. And it, and it kind of goes into men and women's, their different needs and all of that. So yeah. Anything else? OK. Um, I gave you another uh, sheet. And what we're going to do is um, I wanted to give you a tool to um, not just receive information. You guys have been so good about coming on Wednesday nights and studying the book of Ephesians. And it's a lot of head knowledge. It's a lot of thinking. But we're whole beings and, and there are whole other parts. We have a a heart and we have a body and uh, God wants all of us and so uh, if we just stay in the informational mode it's not gonna form you in any different ways and so what we're gonna practice tonight is I'm gonna do just a really quick what is called Lexio Divina and some of you may be aware of that and you know what I'm talking about it's just Latin for divine reading or sacred reading. And it is kind of more of a way of slowing down and allowing the scriptures for you not to just put information in your head, but to, to approach it in a different way so that it might form you from the inside out in conjunction with the spirit that lives in us. And so it uh, Lexio Divina um, traditionally has four phases. First, you read the scripture. Then you meditate on the scripture. Then you pray the scripture. And then you contemplate. And you can break that down into like four R's. Read, reflect, respond, and rest. And um, Eugene Peterson talks about um, some of this in Eat This Book. But he says in this book, uh, which is subtitled A Conversation in the Art of Spiritual Reading, he says, the the word of God is to be read, but it's also needs to read you. And so that idea of letting the scriptures read your heart and read your thoughts and read your feelings as you're sitting with it, kind of have to approach it a different way than we're doing on Wednesday night, where we're just cramming information in our head. Um, engaging in scripture requires your whole self. And so You got information, but you also got formation. Um, It can be functional, but it has to be relational. We are in relationship with the Trinity. We are in relation with the Spirit in us. Um, It can be about doing. Imitating God is, you know, it, it requires some action. But before we do anything, we have to be. And being with the Scripture and letting it read us then we can go out and do. So um, it's really important kind of in your time with just the word alone to not just be doing it like we're doing here on Wednesday night where you're just filling your head with information, but to slow down and engage. And so that's what we're going to do tonight. In light of Paul's word in Ephesians uh, 5, let us be filled with the Holy Spirit as we practice Lexio Divina. Um with a familiar story of Jesus, which uh, we're going to look at the wa- when Jesus washes the disciples' feet. And we're going to do it in a way, and I want you to keep in mind what it is that we've talked about tonight, what Paul's words were in chapter 5, and how um, we are to be um, uh, being subject to one another, how we come under the... Um, As Jesus did and kind of just parallel it in your mind as we go through this and we're gonna do this fast usually you do this a lot slower but we're just gonna speed through it because I want to just practice it quickly so you can take it home and do this on your own I even gave you another um, kind of passage that also relates to this passage that you can do on your own okay so what we're going to do is I'm going to read the, this passage and then we're just going to sit for t- a couple of minutes. And what I'd like you to do is just meditate on the scripture. And that just means, like, think about it. Try and imagine it with your imagination. What did it look like? Um, what kind of bubbles to the surface? Is there a phrase? Is there a particular character in the scene that comes to you, or kind of, is there any spot of conviction? Is there anything that reminds you of what we read tonight? And then I will, after a couple minutes, I'll say a prayer, and then we'll just have a couple more minutes, and the last part is just resting, just sitting with it, not doing anything, but just being, and letting this, the word, um, form you from the inside. You still think about the story if you want or whatever. But that's just kind of the um, phases of going through Lexio Divina. It's an ancient form of reading scripture, it's been done by um, Christians for a really long time. Okay, John 13, verse 3 through 5, and 12 through 17 in the NLT. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and would return to God. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. After washing their feet, He put on his robe again and sat down and asked, Do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. I tell you the truth. Slaves are not greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends them. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing Lord, we really don't understand how you could create everything and have authority over everything and come down into humanity and stoop and pick up a towel and wash dirty feet of those who did not wash yours and all with the knowledge of knowing that you're about to suffer and die a horrible death for those very people. We don't understand, but Lord, you have given us this example, and we just pray that through the filling of your Holy Spirit that we receive the gift that it is and allow it to bubble out into the way that we serve others. Lord, thank you for giving us this beautiful example and help us to come back to it often this week as we go through our days and find ways to wash those around us, the people who live with us in our family and the people that we work with and those who are in our our social circles and those who are in our church family, Lord, just help us to metaphorically Uh, serve the way that you did. Give us that power through your spirit. And help us to just bubble over with praise because of that. It's in your name we pray. And may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all forevermore. Amen. Thank you for coming tonight. Appreciate